this is Causing Friction. This is the podcast where we get a little uncomfortable, a little awkward on our journey of healing through mindfulness and becoming self-aware. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today is a topic that I haven't explored yet, but if you know me a little bit more personally or you follow me on social media, you know that I am a very passionate person. And I mean passionate in multiple senses. Um, I am passionate about talking openly about sex, sexuality, desire, embodying desire, because I definitely find that women shy away from this. And if that's how you want to be, and that is your preferred form of communication is just keeping it internal, by all means, I like to think the opposite. I like to think that the more vocal I am about my desires, my wants, um, the love that I want to receive, the sex that I want to receive, maybe it'll just all come true. So I have with me Kristen to discuss everything about the female sexuality, how we can be a little bit more in touch with ourselves and really embody and fulfill all of those desires that we are searching for. So Kristen, please introduce yourself. <laughs> hey, uh, oh, I'm Kristen. Um, I started studying to become a sexuality coach two years ago now. I think it was at the start of the, the pandemic and uh, it was a program I've been looking at for years um, but I didn't quite have the time. So when we all went into lockdown, I was like, oh, this is kind of the perfect opportunity for me to take my abundance of time now um, and channel it towards something that I've really, really been wanting to do. So I, um, I started studying clinical sexology and I've just kind of moved through that program and a ton of self-learning. And I'm just obsessed with the subject. It's, it's a bottomless subject, truly. Like there's so many different uh, niches and facets and um, desires and uh, like so many sides to it that are endlessly fascinating. And we vary so much in spectrum that it's, yeah, I, I find sexuality just to be an incredible topic and I'm very excited to teach it. And I'm very excited that you're here to discuss this with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we should probably start at why has this become, or is still a very taboo topic? I think that it makes females very scared to step into their sexuality because we just don't talk about it. And aside from society, because we all know generations before us, they were not very open with it. Maybe only in the 70s, sex was very open and everyone was willing to talk about it. But aside from that, it's felt like a very what happens behind closed doors stays there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, like even just growing up, I remember there being um, so much stigma around female sexuality. And I remember being young and just being very resentful over like, why, like, why can men explore their sexuality, but like women cannot without having repercussions or being called names or being shamed. Um, and I think that has really like lingered and settled in the psyches of a lot of women. And it was so interesting today, actually, I met someone um, just grabbing coffee and we just ended up on the on the topic and she was saying like oh I have so much shame like around it and it's it's I, for women like there's this whole purity culture that's uh, pushed on us and if you explore your sexuality you're valued less or some bullshit like that and <laughs> it is bullshit <laughs> it is um and so there's this whole like purity narrative that's like pushed on us and then there's this whole like like you should be the giver and like sex is something that's like done to you versus something that you are an active participant in, or it's like something that you reward a man with versus like something that you are also wholeheartedly part of and enjoying and just melting into. Um, so I think there's just so many things that like we really grow up with that, um, make women, a lot of women scared to embrace their sexuality, their desires, their fantasies. Um, and especially if like some of those fantasies fall outside of even just like, this is how, like the little box that society says that we can have sex in, if it falls outside of that, you know, and then there's a lot of shame there now. So there's so many obstacles that like people across the board really have to um, unlearn unlearn and move through um, to really come into their sexuality and what they desire. There's a couple points here. And I think what we've learned 
a lot through practicing mindfulness is that shame is at the core of so many things and it is our driver or it is what is holding us back Mm -hmm. and understanding where your sex shame story comes from, I feel like is a very important component of all of this Mm -hmm. because it could also be what your mom's mom taught her. And so it's just being passed down through generations. And like you said, it's an unlearning process, Mm -hmm. but really understand where that came from and understanding and taking into consideration that, okay, maybe that was back then. What can still apply now? Because maybe these are still some values that I hold since it's a family tradition or anything like that. But it's just about thinking about it and rethinking about it and understanding that you don't have to take on those values or you don't have to take on that shameful story if you don't want to. Um, A little bit easier said than done because it is a process to undo. I definitely, definitely agree. But understand where that shame originally came from of, okay, so why do you have to be the good girl? Why do you have to be, um, like you said, a service to another person? Why can't it be for enjoyment? Mm -hmm. I think understanding the whys and where all of that came from will be a big eye-opener for people as well. It is, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of um, narratives that we hold, like, I think it's important to ask, is this how I actually feel? Like, do I actually resonate with this? Is this my opinion? Or like you said, is it passed down from your mother's mother? Is it passed down from your father's father? Like wherever it came from, like you have to ask, is it actually yours? Or was it something that was gifted to you? And, you know, we don't have to accept gifts, (laughs) you know? If like, you can take a look at it and be like, hey, this is not something that I want. This is not something that um, actually resonates with me or creates more relaxation in my body, more love in my body, more love in my relationship. So if we are starting this process and we are interested in looking at sex with a new light, we're interested in looking at ourselves in a new light where we want to uncover some of the shame, where else can we start and what else can we do? Um, Is there anything that we can do personally? Should we open up the conversation with our partner if we, you know, are in a relationship? Mm. I think like a really, really beautiful place to start is body work and that you can do all on your own Um, because sex is a body experience. It's a feeling experience. Um, And like we hold so much shame again around our bodies, like how they should look, how they shouldn't look like um, at every corner. it's, It's like we can never do it right. Or in terms of like everything that's thrown at us via social media news like um celebrity culture all of that right and if you're someone that um consumes a lot of that it's going to actually reflect in how you feel about yourself so i think actually just taking a step back detoxing from all of that um and learning how to connect to your body is where you can actually start your relationship with sexuality sexuality does not need to be explicit and it doesn't need to be shared with someone sex usually shared with someone unless it's like self-pleasure you know or masturbation um but sexuality is much bigger than just getting into bed with somebody and it's very very non-explicit and it can just come back to hey how am I going to love my body today what am I going to look at Linda Mir for example and say you know what I really like this part of me you know like like there might be a hundred things you hate but you might say you know what I really like my collarbone whatever it is whatever it is that stands out to you that you're like you know, I kind of like that thing. And you start to build rapport and build like a dialogue with your body. You start to build more connection to it where um, we're actually attuned to what we are feeling, what we need, what our hunger is, what our desires are, what our turnoffs are. Because if you're not connected to the body, you're going to have a hard time voicing your turnoffs uh, and you're going to have a hard time versing your turn-ons. I completely agree. And I think that It's also important to notice the signs in your body where your body and your brain aren't connecting and maybe you want something, but your body Mm -hmm. isn't receptive, or maybe your body really wants something, but your brain is denying you of something because it's telling you, no, you should be the good girl. No, you should be the pleaser. It kind of all comes back around to like (laughs) body and mind connection is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, Are there any kind of self rituals that we can perform to get back in touch with like our body and our brain and make sure that 
you know, those decisions that we're making in the bed, they do feel good for us too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think any practice uh, movement is one of my favorite, one of my favorite, favorite things to do um, to join mind and body, right? Because when we're moving, um, we don't really have a choice, especially if like we're doing some like, um, like yoga, boxing is my favorite one, um, uh, hit workouts, all of that. We don't really have time to overthink things too much. Maybe a little bit. We're like, oh, is my form right? Da, 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 da. But when some, when the heat is turned up, you just kind of have to zero in and do, do the work, right? And what happens there is like you're moving your body. So your body's activated and you're coming out of your mind and more into like a rested body state and you start to join them. And then you can start to feel what's actually happening. You can feel the truth of what's happening. But when they're disconnected, we can struggle with identifying, hey, what's the truth here? Like um, uh, one of the things that you said that I really liked is, um, like you're desiring something, but then your mind is like, wait, wait, I'm the good girl. Like, I like, why do I want him to pull my hair? You know, it's like a light example. Like, um, cause maybe you think like good girls shouldn't desire having their hair pulled and just like, um, in a more passionate, rougher side of sex. Right. Um, or you might think, oh, it's disrespectful, but I respect myself and da, 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 da. So like you're, you're craving one thing, but then your mind is like, wait, 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 wait. Right. And so I think like when we can build more, um, body connection, we can tell like, does this actually make, am I really turned off by having my hair pulled? Uh, or do I really want my hair pulled? But like the stories that I've absorbed, are making it hard for me to surrender and enjoy that part. Surrender is a very, very, very important word. I feel like at the very end of this, we should come back and, and summarize how many times we probably are going to say it. Um, but what I want to touch on with what you just said too is low libido. I know that is something that I noticed after 25, 26, personally, mm-hmm. also with the pandemic, just straight down. Like mm. maybe some people are in a similar situation where for them, not feeling as connected with their feminine energy or their sexuality or their sexual being, low libido is a really big part of it. And it's hard to get that going when you have all of these narratives in your head as well. So you're combating maybe not feeling the sexiest, maybe not even wanting to engage in sex because it doesn't feel desirable, but you know, deep down you do want it because you're have a little bit of like animalistic qualities and you're like, yes, I know. And then you also have the narrative and the brain and everything kind of like battling against it, against you and your desires. So how can we look at low libido? How can we be like, okay, I'm not ashamed of it. It happens sometimes it happens to all of us. And how can we recognize that maybe that is also us being disconnected from our bodies and everything? That's such a layered question. Okay. So I'm going to start with a few things. Um, if like people have been experiencing low libido since the pandemic, that makes complete sense because we've been in a prolonged like freeze stress response. You know, there's been, um, work insecurity, financial insecurity. We've not been able to connect with people that we love. Um, there like the eroticism of life was just removed it was completely removed. And one stress is one of the biggest killers of libido for 80% of people. It's going to flatline your sex drive for about 20% of people. It actually skyrockets their sex drive, but it's like a different, um, it's not like, Oh, I just want to connect and sink in with my partner. It's like, I just need to, to get off to de-stress. Right. So like stress can really, really play around with our libido. So people who have been experiencing that the last two years, there's nothing wrong with you. Like we've been in a pandemic, we've been in a really stressful state. The news is like unending. If you're doom scrolling all the time, (laughs) all of that. So like, like one, like have compassion for yourself. Um, and don't be hard on yourself. If you've realized like, Hey, like my libido really has dropped, like look at the things that are stressing you in your environment and see like, how do I manage my stress? What are ways that I can actually complete these stress cycles? Cause what happens when we're in a freeze response is all those stress hormones just go stale in our body, right? They're not being completed. They're not getting out. So we just are in this, ah, this like more melancholy, more just kind of, uh, 
like state, right? Because we're not getting them out of us. Um, so looking at things like stress and learning how to manage stress is really, really important. Um, other things like lifestyle, um, nutrition is a big one. Um, there are certain foods that are going to increase your libido and there are certain foods that are going to decrease your libido. So anything that's, um, I would say like fast foods, um, things that don't really nourish you properly are going to, um, it's going to cause issues for your libido where like foods like that are really nutritious that your body thrives on that make you feel good. You're that's naturally going to start to rise. So those are like two big lifestyle ones. I would look at that in exercise. Cause again, like with exercise, um, we can release a bunch of hormones that make us feel happy. Um, that like testosterone increases our sex drive, all of that. So hit workouts, nutrition and stress management, I would say are at the foundation of libido. Um, but then going into it like a little bit deeper, like how much are you living your life? You know, like, do you feel turned on by your life? And that is a huge, that's a huge one. Cause if you're a creative person, however, that creativity manifests, um, and it just feels dry or you feel like oh, I'm too scared to like paint and put my paintings out in the world, you know, or like, I want to make a podcast, but like, I'm nervous about making a podcast. So you don't, but it's something you deeply desire. Like, like how turned on are you by your life? Because that will actually affect your libido especially as a woman that really affects your libido as well because your creative outlets the things that you deeply desire um are also a backbone to that i really enjoy the terminology you said about the eroticism of life mm. there has been this kind of saying that i have mentioned to my partner multiple times in the past two years with everything that's happened is that there is this kind of social aspect of sex and sexuality and desire that is missing right now. And there's something about seeing your partner in public and kind of getting a different yeah. perspective and seeing them from a different light and just being like, wow, I am so attracted to you. Mm -hmm. There is something social about sex when it's just you and your bunch of your girlfriends are out and you're all riling each other up and you're all amping each other up and complimenting each other feeling there's good, something that good. feels good about that <laughs> and we haven't had that for the past two years yeah mm -hmm. and I realized for me that that was also deeply connected to a lot of my desires it was out of this whole room I get you you get me and that to me is like this comforting but also almost like animalistic to desire that I'm just like, mm-hmm, like that is mine. I'm so grateful. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that was missing for the past two years. And I think that saying that there is a, like a social side to sex sounds strange when you say it out loud for the first time. But when I really started to think and process, I'm like, it, it's incredibly true. Like even just being around another group of people and seeing the way that they interact with their partners and seeing love and desire and passion. It's like, it sparks everything again. And mm -hmm. it's a really nice feeling to be able to be out and socializing and having this whole other aspect kind of added back into our, our sexuality in this realm. Yeah. Like going back to one of the first things I said, like a lot of sex is non-explicit, you know, or sexuality is non-explicit and innocent that's what I mean by it. It's like, it's, it is seeing your girlfriends, you know, going out, having a glass of wine, maybe, or tea or whatever it is, uh, maybe like dressing up and feeling good. It's seeing like, I don't know, just running to the coffee shop for a coffee and like smelling the beans in there and like sipping your coffee and just being like, mm, this tastes so good, you know, or it's getting your nails done or like, there's so many like you wouldn't think like on paper those things affect libido or, or affect your sexuality but it's actually like our sexuality is more um how do i explain this it's like a, it's like a whole canvas right it's not just like one little thing it's like the canvas of our life and if there's other areas of our life like our social life which has um been impacted massively since the pandemic um that's going to affect that vibrancy that you feel for life for sex for all of it for your partner you know when we spend too much time with our partner it can actually depolarize us a little bit 
and we get stuck into routines and we're not seeing them. Like you had mentioned, I really like this actually, like when you're out and about, you see your partner in different environments that can be really, really attractive for some people. Like um, say like your, your partner in their work environment, just like takes charge and you're really into that. So then you see them like at a work event and they're taking charge and they're just like doing their thing. And it's like, damn, like that's, that's my man or that's my woman like that, you know, like you're into it, right. To see them in their element uh, and to actually like have those lives outside of each other, um, whether they're like hobbies that you're doing that you have separate, separate ones. And you come back and you're excited to share that with each other. You know, it adds eroticism to your connection. Do you think it is extremely important and do you work with people to encourage them to have more separation from their partner to create some of that desire and lust again when maybe, you know, we've been dating six, seven years. It's like, okay, we get it. We live together now. We see each other all the time. How can we make things exciting again for obviously not just them because when you're in a partnership for that long, you want to please them but also you want to be pleased. What if they're not doing the things you like anymore? Maybe we both just got a little lazy after six, seven years. How can we feel desire towards them again? How can we feel desirable and how can we work on it together? Is it encouraging doing different activities and then maybe meeting up and having that social side of it too? Yeah, I think it will, one, it will really depend on the couple and what their challenges are. Um, but I think there's like, there's so many things to create more desire, more connection, more fire between you. And uh, I think a lot of the issues stem from like, when we are in a relationship for six, seven years, we forget that like, this is something that we should prioritize. And we do kind of get into a little bit of pride. Like what movie are we watching tonight? You know, like how many movies have you watched versus like going out on a date? Like when was the last time you guys went out on a date? you know, or like you, you, you planned it a little bit, like say you like an assertive energy from your partner. Right. Um, and you say like, babe, you know, like, can you like, um, let's go on a date. And I, I just like, can you plan it? Like, I would love if you just planned the whole thing and then I could like get ready and make myself feel beautiful. And then maybe you meet there or maybe you go there together, like whatever it is. Right. But you, you polarize it a little bit. So it's not like, Oh, like I'll do this. You do this, blah, 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 blah. Let's just go on a date. It's like, you take care of the date and then I'm going to make myself look like a million dollars. And that's going to feel really good for us both. And we're going to go on the date and there's going to be like one where someone new you know, maybe trying some like delicious food, food, I think in itself can be like a really erotic experience. Like food is so good. And if you're, if you're like a foodie, like doing stuff like the trying new foods and like, it's such a playground to express pleasure, you know, like, um, men are the masculine, like very, very into your expressed pleasure. So even eating food or like chocolate cake or oysters, whatever it is. And you go, Hmm, oh so good this place is amazing like all of all of that stuff like that creates more desire creates more eroticism so I think actually being intentional in your relationships um, if you find yourself in a bit of a rut together is going to start to shift that like polarization back you know that attraction back Um, sometimes when we're with someone for a long time like we're just in our track pants around them and messy bun, no makeup, none of that. But I say like, don't, don't, um, let all of that go, you know, like just, if you want to put on lipstick and then just like walk into the room, looking like an absolute bombshell, do it, you know, like that's going to create some spice. What if there are situations where we're not even a hundred percent sure what we fully desire from our partners, how can we explore and figure that out? Um, I know that I'm a little bit torn on the porn industry personally. I think that in some instances, it probably helped educate a lot of females, but on the other side, I think it probably desensitized and put a lot of weird expectations in men's heads. So I'm kind of like, was it, Mm -hmm. you know, was it useful for me when I was like, I don't know what I like. I feel like no men have been willing to talk to me about anything. I don't know. So I went that route to try to be like, okay, what is enjoyable for me? Mm-hmm. obviously that helped me have there been yeah. instances where you know men are very desensitized and they have a lot of expectations when you're just like my foot can't actually go all the way back there I am so sorry <laughs> sir <laughs> like so sorry sir. I'm so sorry like I don't know what you know not Cirque du Soleil over here but mm-hmm. 
what else can we do to try to explore? I know porn is a good option, maybe even watching porn together, but what else can Mm -hmm. we do to figure out what we like? Yes. Okay. Um, Porn is a really, really interesting one, actually. Um, And I do, depending on like which, um, what a client is working with or like the issues that they're experiencing and what their goals are, um, sometimes like recommending um, exploring some things on porn is good for them, you know, but then there's also a lot in porn that is... like it can be overwhelming and it can be very confronting. Um, and porn comes with a whole bunch of issues actually in terms of, um, it, it releases like a lot of dopamine, uh, when we watch it. Uh, so our, our arousal can go from like zero to a hundred. Um, and then what ends up happening if somebody has chronic porn usage, it can actually be more difficult to get aroused in the moment when you're actually with a human being. So, with porn, you do definitely need to have boundaries um, and look at it through the right lens. So in, in like for some things, I think it can be like really, really educational and it can definitely be something that like, I mean, I wouldn't go to porn to learn about sex. Um, but in terms of like, say, say you are maybe into spanking, for example, and you kind of want like your partner to give you a little bit of a spank, you know, like you might just watch... I don't know, just some like soft, I don't know, some soft spanking to just to see and then be like, okay, like, am I having a response to this or am I not having a response to this? You know? So I think there's, there's things that you can look at on there, but you also need to be aware, like, like there can be extremes that are off-putting and definitely not what you want to be doing. But yeah, porn, you, it can be helpful, but there's definitely, you got to be careful with it. Um, I think reading erotic books, that's like, I think one, um, it stimulates the brain differently. You know, it's definitely like a slower build. Um, you can feel like the tension in a story. Um, and you can maybe relate to the characters. You can maybe resonate with some of the characters or see yourself in them. And I think that gives us a better understanding of some of our desires. And if we're reading that book with a partner, that leaves so much room for discussion around sexuality or things that you might want to try, you know, especially if you feel nervous about being like, Hey, like, babe, I kind of want to try this out. Uh, and you're not sure how, how it would land. You know, there's a lot of people have, um, uh, shame in expressing their desires or they're worried it will be rejected. Um, but if you're reading a book together, you can have discussion around things that you find interesting or intrigued by. So I think reading is a great, is a great way. I completely agree. I didn't realize the power of my own brain until I read my first erotic novel. I was like, whoa. And it's, it's something also when when reading that by yourself and getting that full moment by yourself where you you don't need to worry about any embarrassment. Even if you're going red and you're reading it by yourself and you feel all giddy and you're like, oh, this is so funny. Or like, this is so hard. You can be like, you can fully immerse yourself in it and enjoy it and just be like, okay, wow. And then if you're comfortable taking it to your partner and being like, by the way, don't know if you saw, but I'm reading this book. and then make it playful too and I think that 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 whole realm of still making sex playful and giddy and still something that pressure off isn't okay this is our task for the day we need to get this done Mm -hmm. that is super important I mean play, play in any sense of being an adult um, in the bedroom, outside of the bedroom, understanding your sexuality, even just trying to connect with your inner child aside from all of this, like getting back to being comfortable playing without being feared of being judged, without fear of embarrassing yourself is incredibly mm-hmm. freeing and so important that we mm-hmm. really take on in mindfulness practice. Um, yes. So if we are a little bit hesitant about bringing up our desires to our partner, either because we have been told a certain narrative or because we are embarrassed. What is some other inner work that we can really do in order to build up maybe that confidence? Or how can we reassure ourselves that, you know, they're going to love us no matter what kind of kink we have? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question. So one, I think first accepting your kink 
or your desire or your fantasy for yourself is important. You know, because sometimes we have fantasies and it's like, why does that turn me on? You know, <laughs> you're like, what? you're just like, you're like flabbergasted about it, you know, but like, <laughs> I think it's important to one, just accept your own fantasies and know that like whatever your fantasy it is, right. If it's played out either like just you with yourself or with a partner and it's consenting and the goal is pleasure and connection, um, then whatever your kink is, whatever your desire is, it's okay. You know, when it's played out, the parameters are there, the safety is there, the boundaries are there, everyone is enthusiastically consenting to it, your desires are okay and they're valid. And there can be a lot of like role play that you could do. There can be a lot of things, like there's so much to explore. Like if we give the, our sexuality like the time of day, genuinely, I think there's like endless terrain to explore with it. Uh, and I think people get bored of having the same kind of sex repeatedly, right? Because it's not stretching into new terrain or like maybe going um, and exploring those deeper desires. So I think actually like one, accepting your, your desires or your fantasies is um, super important. And you can do that by, you know, reading, by just sitting and thinking about them and being like, you know what, like, this is what I'm interested in. And maybe you do have some questions about it and that's completely normal. You can seek out, you know, um, sexuality coaches or educators um, or like resources online um, to maybe read a little bit about your desires and other people who share them. You know, because you're absolutely like not alone in your fantasies and desires. You're absolutely not alone. Um, there are there are fantasies for everything in the book, right? <laughs> everything in the book. And some yeah. of them are gonna be odd, right? Mm-hmm. But like don't judge yourself for that. You know, if it's like if it tickles your fancy, cool. If you're doing uh, if you're exploring it with a partner um and everyone's happy and you're safe, you know what? Like explore it. Right uh, now. So, yeah, I would say one, accepting your desires for yourself first is super, super important. And then bringing it into your relationship. Well, one, like how much open communication do you guys have around sexuality and sex? Um, is it something that you've ever talked about? And is that the reason that maybe it feels overwhelming to share? Because if you've never had open conversation around sex or if one partner is feeling blocked or like they don't want to explore, that's going to maybe create some hesitations around bringing your desires forward. So one, I think it's important to like, like feel out how safe you feel in bringing your desires forward. And if that's like a relationship issue or if it's because you are nervous to bring them forward yourself, you know, and opening up lines of like, opening up lines of communication in sex, like one, I, I say reading all the time. So I think that's a great one. Or maybe you listen to a podcast and you're like, Oh, like I was listening to this. It's so interesting. Or like, maybe you got down and you send your partner message being like, oh, when you did that, Oh man, it like, it had this X, Y, and Z effect on me. So just starting to more casually bring sex and talking about sex into your relationship, I think is a great way to start building groundwork to then bring your fantasies into it. Yeah, I think that accepting them yourself is a really, really, really big first step. Um, Mm -hmm. Being vulnerable with someone, clothes on or off, it's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and it's going to be a little bit like, "Mm," but Mm -hmm. there is no better feeling than when you are vulnerable and honest and have open communication with your partner and they are receptive and make you feel safe and loved and accepted. That right there is a sensual, very sexual arousing experience. And it it really Mm -hmm. just takes the courage to take the first step. And Mm -hmm. if you feel some kind of tension for some reason, or if your partner is a little bit standoffish when you approach them with, hey, I really like when you do this. And maybe they have a, oh, but you don't like everything else that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Understand how that is on their own sex shame that they are feeling. And we got to figure out how to make this a safe space for both of you. If someone Mm -hmm. is not receiving when you are trying to be open with communication, there's so much more to that story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's something we also are facing right now, which is very, very common. Mental health, Mm -hmm. sex, low libido. Mm -hmm all of it. I think that what you were talking about stress is incredibly important, but there is also 
very common side effect um, of medication, either that is depression, anxiety, um, all of these kinds of medication to help with these mental health disorders, then are side effects are low libido. And that is something that can be really, really difficult as maybe a female, if you were on birth control or something before, and maybe it increased your sex drive, and then you are on some kind of different medication, maybe it's decreasing. And these hormones are just so not stable and you don't feel good. You don't Mm -hmm. feel sexy. Um, Mm -hmm. How can we work through these mental blocks with ourselves and really show ourselves compassion too? I think uh, one of the best ways that we can show ourselves compassion is to actively practice the art of loving ourselves. Um, so, you know, what? There, and it's, it's hard because say you are on medications and you have low libido or one of the common side effects of, um, sorry, antidepressants are you struggle to orgasm. Um, so you might not be able to reach orgasm. You can still have a really enjoyable experience in bed um but then like your partner might feel away and then you might feel away and then there's so many there's so many things that can come from this and i think one it's so 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 important to have compassion and understanding like okay like i need to be on this right now because it's it's what is benefiting like the most benefiting for me uh and it's what's helping me heal right but in that, I'm going to continue to exercise compassion and love. And I think one of the ways that we can do that um, for uh, women or people who uh, feel like they are feminine people, um, I think the art of self-care is honestly, like, I think it's such, such a pillar to coming into our feminine energy. So for me personally, that looks like taking bubbles, bubble baths constantly. <laughs> like, I love a bubble bath turn the lights off, lots of candles. I'll bring some chocolate, a book, all of that. And I'll just sit in there for like two hours, uh, Epsom salts, all of that. And it's really, it's, it's something that one, it's an embodied experience. So all of your senses are a, like a light, you know, you have like the essential oils. So you have good smells, you have the candles, um, you have the warmth of the water, the bubbles. Um, you have a book maybe to stimulate your mind, or you're listening to a podcast. Um, so there's all these senses that you are waking up. And I think when we can wake up our senses, that's like one of the ways we come back into touch with the eroticism of our life. Um, so I think any ways that you can really prioritize, um, slowing down and caring for yourself is really, really, really important. And it's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you feel good. So if you're just kind of feeling like today, you know, like what's going to make you feel good. What's going to make you feel safe. You know, like maybe, maybe, um, it's to do your face full of makeup, (laughs) you know, and just be like, Oh, like I feel really beautiful, you know? Um, or it could be eating for me, it's cooking. I love cooking. I love, 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 love cooking. And I like eating foods that make my belly feel, I have the most sensitive stomach in the world. So if I eat something that's like, doesn't agree with me, I get really, really bloated and I feel awful. Uh, and then I don't want to get down, <laughs> you know, cause you just feel like, Oh, like I don't feel good. And when we feel good, that's when we're way more open and receptive to sex. Um, so I think even just like learning how to cook when it can be, if you don't know how to cook, it's something that you can explore. Uh, and it's like, um, something you can get really creative with. And it's a bit, it's definitely a learning curve if you don't know how to cook and you trying to get into it. Um, but as you learn, you become more intuitive with it. Um, you can make really pleasurable meals, which again, like the pleasure of food that adds like zest and life into our day. Um, I think that's like a really, really cool way to explore just like showing your body love and compassion and making it feel good. So anything that you like makes you feel good and not just like, Oh, like I'm going to eat a chocolate bar because like, um, I mean, like I eat chocolate bars all the time, like all the time I have an issue, but like, is it, (laughs) is it like, oh, I'm just going to grab instant pleasure or like instant gratification. Am I going for those? Am I going to prioritize, um, longevity and pleasure? So maybe meditation regularly, you know, it doesn't feel good every day. Half the time you're like, oh, I don't want to meditate, but you know, it makes you feel better at the end of the day. So it's finding those things that create pleasure in your life. And sometimes we don't want to do them like meditation, but we know it will set us up to feel so much better in our day. So really prioritizing those things, I think can help if our libido has dropped, or if we are dealing with adverse uh, side effects of medications that um, we need, you know, so I think I think those are 
pretty important. I like that you mentioned the whole, if I consume certain items, certain food, it makes me feel not so great. And then I just don't want to have sex because one thing that I've really noticed is that sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time when I'm ready to go to bed, I've showered, I've had my meal. I just want to sleep. (laughs) And I can't Mm -hmm. be the only person out there that I get into bed. And sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, like, I do want to have sex, but at the same time, I was like, I'm tired. I'm bloated. I don't feel sexy. It's also important to think about your day and take into consideration. Okay. I know I don't feel good when I do this. I know I'm not going to feel sexy when I do this. And just being in tune with what you know, doesn't make you feel good or sexy either. If you're Mm -hmm. kind of like struggling to maybe find the time to have sex Um, Mm -hmm. I think that morning sex is very underrated for some reason. Everyone feels like we always have to do it right before bed, just because that's like the very exact time we're getting into bed. And usually you're undressing anyways, which very convenient. Absolutely. It's like, all right, we're already in this together anyways. Right. Like your, your energy levels, by the time you've worked a full day, you've cut, you've done your air, like all of that. By the time you get into bed, you're like, you, of course you want to sleep. So I, I agree with the morning sex. Also, like, um, if you're with a man, his testosterone is higher in the morning. His energy levels are higher in the morning. So there's going to be a stronger. <laughs> and also, there's nothing wrong with a little 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 10 a.m. It's There isn't this rule that you have to have sex every time you go to bed with your partner. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. And I think that saying that out loud, people are going to be like, yeah, I know. But then they're going to think about it later when they're going to bed and be like, wait, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And that's another part of it. We feel almost obligated getting into bed every night with our partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because you live together and you go to bed every night doesn't mean you have to have sex every single night. Does not mean that if it is not enjoyable for you, you do not need to do it just to fit in with society or feel like that was what you just do. Um, mm-hmm. If you feel like, okay, my energy levels are the highest for some reason. An hour after I wake up, I've had a nice stretch. I've had a nice coffee. Mm -hmm. Just try jumping on your partner then. Try seeing what their reaction is. Try whatever is going to feel the most energizing and the most pleasurable for you. Mm -hmm. And then ask your partner after. Be like, well, that was a nice little change. What do you think? (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like sex doesn't need to be at 11 PM at night when you guys have just finished your day, you know, when the makeup's off and like you, maybe you're bloated after dinner and you, uh, watch something on Netflix and you didn't actually look each other in the eye, you know, cause I, I think eye contact is actually really underrated. Like if we're just going about our day and we're looking at screens and we're not looking at each other, there's something that happens. Like when we make eye contact with each other, when we hold each other for more than just like a, like a second that creates more space for intimacy. And if like, and to touch like on your point, like if we have this like feeling like this obligation that we should have sex, it actually turns us off of wanting to have sex at all. You know, it really does. Uh, whether that, whether you're putting that pressure on yourself or maybe your partner's putting that pressure on you. Um, it's just, it's, it, it will just turn you off of wanting to have sex at all. So I think actually just taking off the pressure completely creates more space for eroticism. Or, and like, you can even just plan a night that is about intimacy, but not necessarily about sex. Like you can have a night where maybe you guys do dinner together and maybe have a glass of wine um, and you turn all the lights low and you really set an environment. Like, do you have salt lamps? Like salt lamps are my favorite actually, because like they just, um, it has just a really nice light glow that feels very, very, very relaxing. And the more relaxed in your environment, the more your nervous system relaxes and the more sexually receptive you are also the stronger orgasms you have. So creating an environment that is really, really relaxing for your body is like super underrated. I, create an environment, light candles, you know, maybe have incense or uh, essential oils, whatever it is like, um, that we light up the rest of our senses first, and then maybe we go into sex or maybe we don't, but maybe we spend that night giving each other massages, you know, just get naked, get the massage oil out 
and just take your time and do that and let there be like no pressure to have sex. If it happens naturally, amazing. If not, like you've just had a beautiful night with your partner where maybe you've made eye contact, you've slowed down your breathing, you feel really relaxed because the the lights are dark, but you have candles on and things smell good. And, um, and you're just like, you're touching each other and connecting in just like a really like beautiful way. So I think we can plan to have intimate nights, but take the pressure of sex off of that intimate night. Because sometimes like, if you feel that pressure, it's going to start to feel, it might um, turn into anxiety versus I'm just going to like really relax and massage my partner or receive a massage. You know, so I think there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do, but you got to take the pressure off. Yeah. I think that there is something to be said about people who suffer from anxiety or depression as well. Don't underestimate the power of creating a sensual experience and a safe environment for you because more than anything, our body is always in fight or flight. We are always thinking that something bad is going to happen constantly anxious. And sometimes it's hard to turn your brain off and get into the mood and want to have sex to begin with. So I think that those steps you just mentioned for anyone who suffers with any kind of like anxiety disorders, any kind of depression, like that is something that could be very, very helpful Mm -hmm. to create a safe, not pressured environment to just connect, to just feel and just be and give you a moment where there aren't any expectations. It's just enjoyment and it's relaxation. Mm -hmm. I know that's hard for people who are very anxious to be like, what do you mean? I get to relax, (laughs) make it, make it a priority that you have a a nice safe space between the two of you to connect and enjoy relaxation. And then, like you said, if something else comes out of it, amazing. If it doesn't, you just created a memory with your partner and you guys are going to feel even better the next couple of days because these experiences, they're not instant gratification by any means. Mm -hmm. They stay with us and they will create a new perception that we have around our partner for sometimes multiple days. I think that I've heard that about orgasms, like Mm -hmm. the mental stimulation that it gives you and the desire it gives you for your, your person after you have an orgasm. It's not just instant, especially for females. For us, it is long lasting. It is. Um, Mm -hmm. So a couple of very interesting topics I want to ask your opinion on are one scheduling a specific, you know, day or time to have sex specifically mm-hmm. Two, um, the number of people who fake orgasms, which I think is the worst thing you can do. I think yes. we shouldn't be faking it. We should be teaching each other. <laughs> um, so let's start with the first one. What are your, what's your opinion around having to schedule sex? Um, I think, you know what, I am for, uh, it depends. Okay. I'll, I'll explain like both my reasonings. So if I, so when we bring intention to sex, that can be really, really hot. So say there is something that you've been wanting to try. Maybe you want to try some restraints, some handcuffs with your partner, right? That has to be planned. You can't like really just whip them out and be like, Hey, I'm going to tie you up. And they'd be like, what? Like, like, no, like things like that, there has to be discussion, planning, maybe you go buy them together. Uh, and you, you say like, you know what, I, we're, we're going to take Sunday night and we're going to spend like two hours, three hours, however long, we're just going to like ease into things. And then we're going to use these. And then you'll, you, you discuss like what your boundaries are, like what, um, you are okay with or not okay with all of that. Right. So, and that can actually build up a lot of anticipation. Uh, anticipation and dopamine throughout the week that make you super, super, super excited for that night, you know? So I think in terms of like planning sex that way, um, where we're bringing intention to it is really important, but we also need to leave space for like, say something happened that morning, uh, you ate something, um, like I'm gluten intolerant, for example. So if I eat something sometimes and there's gluten in it, I get really messed up. Right. And then you want to go and do that later, but like your stomach's in pieces. So you also need to like hold space for the fact that like certain things can like arise and that's okay. That's okay. Um, and we might need to just do it next week, but I think there can be a lot of eroticism in planning sex. Now the part where it's kind of like, eh, is like, are we planning sex? Cause we're not actually being intentional about 
eroticism and taking care of our relationship. We're like, you know, both couples uh, or sorry, both people are really, really busy and they don't have a lot of time. So it's like, you know what, every Friday morning we're going to have sex. But like that kind of takes away, like it's, it's still, it, it's routine, you know? Um, and it, it lacks a little bit of that eroticism. It lacks a little bit. And that can maybe uh, leave you again, having the same kind of sex over and over and over again, that you eventually are just like, oh, like, you know, like you might want to explore a little bit. Um, you might want a little more spontaneity um, because our, we can't really say what our libido is going to be like in four days. We can't, we don't know what's going to pop up. We don't know how our work week's going to go. We don't know if we're going to have the time to unwind. And I think um, for, for women and feminine people specifically, like unwinding from your work week is really, really, really important to receiving in the bedroom. Because if you're in constant doing mode, because we can get stuck in doing mode and productivity and putting out goals and do all of that stuff, right? The bedroom for the feminine is receiving and it's being and it's feeling and sometimes we need like a buffer between work and then going into our intimacy to go into that mental uh, and emotional space because if we've had to put like our emotions in a box for work all week it's becomes difficult to then let them out when we want to connect intimately so I think it's important one to prioritize like time to shift back into a state of being and receiving and surrendering and feeling and all of that um, but also, um, if you're just saying like, Hey, like let's plan sex for this day, like once a week, twice a week, whatever it is, um, it's not taking into account things that could affect your libido or other days where your libido might be skyrocketed. Cause you had an amazing day and everything went perfect and you're feeling good and you want to come back and just rail your partner. Right. So I think like part of it is like the intuition of the body. Um, and upholding the connection um, and intention of your relationship. Because sometimes we can get a little lazy with that. Um, and so like I am for planning sex, but I'm also for what, what's your body telling you today? What are you desiring? What do you want? Like if, and if things have really like died down in your sex life and you are struggling to connect intimately, I think that is a good time to plan. Um, but again, don't plan for sex itself, plan for intimacy and maybe sex will come because you are feeling connected. 100% agree. I, I haven't had an instance where I feel like my schedule is too busy and I need to necessarily plan sex. I haven't personally experienced it, but I do know a lot of couples that feel this pull and this, okay, but we have to make this happen. Like sex is so incredibly important in relationships. So when are we going to get this in? And it's like, okay, we can still make it a little bit magical. We can still make it sensual. If you do need to select a time and you do need to select a day. I like that you said that it's exploring all forms of intimacy. It isn't just about, you know, doing the deed and getting it over with, because then how is that enjoyable for the two of you? Um, it's, it's shallow it, sex. Like it feels like shallow, like mm. it feels like we're just banging bodies together for 20 minutes, like high-fiving. And then just like, we've, we've checked it off the relationship checklist. Our relationship is healthy, you know, but like, that doesn't necessarily mean either of you are satisfied with that kind of sex. Exactly. And I like that you just said, okay, our relationship is healthy because we have sex a couple of times a week, but the person who only has sex once every two weeks, once every three weeks, isn't it's like, mm, no. no, if that's their desire and that's what works for them. And it's because they both, like you said, they got home and they just want to jump on top of each other that night. So I want to understand your perception and how we can also help people understand that it's not quantity. It's the quality Mm -hmm. and it is also difficult when say, for instance, you as a female are maybe with someone who wants to have sex all the time. And what if you say no, what happens? What is their reaction? Because sorry, not sorry, men. There are some people out there who are very offended by you not wanting to be on top of them 24 Mm seven. So I'd love to get you know, your opinion about at what point is it almost coercion and and just not enjoyable for someone who feels like they have to constantly 
be on a schedule, be constantly doing it every time when they just straight up don't want to, or they say, no, I'm not in the mood. And then their partner guilts them or shames them into doing it. Yeah. So any guilting or shaming of your partner, I think is awful and wrong. Uh, And it actually creates way less safety and way less sexual receptivity in them. Like, and it's, it's, it, it can be like really difficult if you are not, I remember this, like I'll share like a personal story. Um, I remember this one boyfriend I had, this is when I was, um, my early twenties and he was wanting to have sex. And I had worked until like three 30 in the morning, um, got home and he was up at like 7am. So I had only slept for like four hours, three hours. Um, and he wanted to have sex. And I was like, no, <laughs> like I'm exhausted. I was still like, you know, when you're KO'd sleeping, like you're, you're out, like that's how I was sleeping. Now, like, I'm like fairly, like a fairly sexually receptive person, especially like when I feel safe with my partner, when there's like connection, attraction there, but it usually takes some like warming up. Like you can't just be like, Hey babe, like, do you want to like, fuck? Like, no, no. Especially if I've, I've only been in bed for three hours and I've worked until like super, super late. Right. I was bartending at the time. Uh, and so I, I had said, no, I rolled over, I went to sleep. Uh, and then we had a conversation about it and I was like, you know what? Like, I think I would be more like open and receptive. Like if you know, like you kiss my neck or you maybe like drew like, like drew on like my, my shoulders, my arms, my chest, like, cause that starts to actually awaken the body to sensation. And therefore you would probably have more interest in sex, but he said, Oh, more work I have to do. And I was like, we broke up very shortly after that, you know, and it was because one, it felt, um, really entitled, you know, and also with a complete lack of understanding of how most, uh, female bodies react to intimacy in which case, in which is we are like cold water that needs to be brought to a boil. And that is part of creating sexual safety and interest in the bedroom. So if somebody just wants to go from zero to sex, unless you are like in the mood, your sexual energy is really high. Maybe you had an amazing day. You feel amazing. You can probably do that. Right. But if you're at zero, you need the buildup. You absolutely need the buildup. You need, um, and it can take a while. Like sometimes I, I need a lot of like, just draw my body for like 20 minutes <laughs> you know, and like that just like relaxes the nervous system. But like when, when people, stop taking into account what you're feeling or how you need to be open to actually be sexually receptive, it actually closes you off to them more. So they're, they're creating more issues. They're creating less intimacy and less sexual receptivity by shaming you or by saying that, like, you should be doing this if you love them, like any of that, like that. If it, if someone comes to you with with that and you feel in your body, like, oh, you know, like, Oh, I feel like why, you know, like it doesn't feel right. Like that response you're having is the right answer. The the wrong answer is to be like, Oh, I guess we'll do it for them. Like, because that's one that's going to make you resent them. And it's also going to break the trust that you have with yourself because you're overriding your body's instinct that is saying, no, I'm not in the mood right now. Right. And like, I don't know. So I personally, like I would reevaluate if someone is coercing you into sex, I would absolutely reevaluate that relationship and staying in that relationship Um, because that's, it's not going to be fulfilling. And if they're crossing those boundaries, what other boundaries, like, are they holding other emotional boundaries for you? Like, do you feel safe in that relationship? So I think there's, there's a lot that like, um, to I guess like explore in this like area um but definitely if you are not feeling safe and if you have a partner that's not understanding then that can be really challenging to work with now if someone if you're um perpetually rejecting say a partner um and they're starting to feel really insecure about it that's more worth a conversation that's a different story than someone coercing you you know, that's like worth, you know, like, let's chat about this. Let's figure out what's going on. Like, maybe like, maybe it's a libido issue and we just need to tweak a few things in our lifestyle. Maybe we need to, you need more of this kind of energy from your partner to be interested. You know, like there's, there's a lot in there to 
figure out like, Hey, where's the disconnect and how can we make it better? But if somebody is shaming you, making you feel guilty, uh, putting you down, um, being rude, mm, that is not the vibe. I think what you just said about it's going to make you not trust yourself and your body is not going to feel safe. Mm -hmm. That's like a ding, 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 ding. There's so many things in my brain going off being like, wow, how many times did I just agree to pleasure a partner or engage in intimacy when even my body, my brain, everything was just saying no. Mm -hmm. And then how did I feel the next day? Did I enjoy that pleasure? Maybe at some point it maybe felt good, but deep down, how am I feeling in connection to my body? Yeah. I, I not good by any means. Mm-hmm. I'm, I really like the explanation that you just gave with all of that. Also differentiating between, okay, if there is, you know, constant denial and disconnect between two partners, which can definitely happen, like there's something else going on there and it could be low libido. It could just be Maybe, you know, they're not getting the stimulants that they need in the bedroom, but they're very, very, very different. And I think it's important to evaluate um, if you are feeling any kind of shame or guilt into any kind of sex with your partner, you gotta, you gotta rethink that and be like, okay, how is this happening? Why? Um, Mm -hmm. And how are you ultimately feeling about all of it? Yeah, absolutely. Something, sorry, I just want to quickly add to that. Of course. When we're, um aware of what our boundaries are when something's not feeling good and it's like you know what no I'm not in the mood today or like you know I don't want to like maybe you're up for doing x y and z but this other thing you're like no I don't want to do that you know um when you become empowered in your use of your no you your yeses feel so much better they feel so much better because one you're attuned with your body and you are voicing the truth of it you're voicing the truth of it so your yeses become really really powerful when you feel empowered also in your no's you know because if we're just saying yes to something that we're kind of like like I don't know if I'm like into that then like our like full yeses that like make our toes curl and all of that it's harder to get to those you know but if we can and sometimes with certain things like maybe your partner wants to try something and you're just kind of indifferent to it or like they're using the wrong technique Maybe um, you like circles on your clit and they're doing some up downs, you know, and like you, instead of saying, instead of like, just like moving your hand to their hand and showing them, you just kind of like, I'll just let them do up downs on me. It's like your, your empowered. Yes. is like moving your hand there and adjusting it to the right rhythm, the right movement, all of that, which then tells your partner, oh, this is how they like it. So they know how to please you more. Um, and you've also looked at your hesitation or the thing that was kind of like turning you off a little bit. And you said, Hey, like, that's, I'm not into that. So like, let me show you how to do it. You know, I think that becomes really powerful. I also, this is making me think back to a phrase that I heard that I have now been living by, which is your orgasm is your responsibility. Mm. Now it doesn't mean it from a literal standpoint where you have to be the only person getting yourself off. It just means that you need to communicate what feels good and what doesn't. You need to communicate what gets you there and what doesn't. And like you said, maybe you need to guide your partner's hand over just like a little centimeter or you need to move (laughs) them in a certain direction. (laughs) Ultimately, that is on you. They Mm -hmm. can't read your mind. Yeah, you could be putting on a performance. Yes, you could be faking it, which please stop for the love of. (laughs) No more faking orgasms. Please stop. No, 2022. No fake orgasms. (laughs) Um, But ultimately your pleasure, your orgasm is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, How you get there, you can totally do it with a partner. You can totally do it with yourself. You can totally do it with toys, but it ultimately is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And please take that into consideration. If there's going to be one massive thing we take away from this, it's communication and different forms of intimacy to lead to potential sex, I think. Um, So Kristen, do you have anything else, any last little tidbits, last pieces of advice that you would love to give us? I would say start being intentional, like bringing intention into your relationship and into the bedroom really, really shifts the energy. Cause a lot of us kind of have sex the way we would like watch a TV show. You know, it's like, Oh, what's on tonight? Like, we'll just like watch it and then go to bed. Like there's no, uh, it's it's like too routine. It's too, it, it like lacks like 
the full use of our senses, of our heart, of our bodies, of our connection. So um, bring more intention into the bedroom and into your relationship, safeguard your relationship. Um, and just, I would say just get out together, you know, get out together, maybe go on like a hike somewhere, maybe go to a theme park and do some like scary roller coasters. Cause, uh, things that kind of like freak you both out a little bit and, but you get through together, like going on like a scary roller coaster can actually bond you. So little things like that. Um, learn how to cook together, you know, cook a meal, or maybe you do both know how to cook, but uh, you take one day a week and this is the night that you get a bottle of wine and you try out a new recipe and you both cook it together. Like that's going to release oxytocin, you know, which is going to create more of a connection with each other. So really start prioritizing little things that you can do throughout the week. You can have a designated date night that is about building more meaningful connection versus existing around each other in a routine. Yeah, I definitely say it's not just about coexisting, especially when you've been together for so long. It needs to have meaning and there needs to be so much intention behind, mm-hmm. you know, your intimacy and what you choose to do together. So I really appreciate that. And where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Kristen, K-R-Y-S-T-I-N dot Ross, R-O-S-S. I spell my name a bit funny. So <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my Instagram Um, and then I'm on TikTok. I am sexology with Chris. And then I have two programs that I'm working on at the moment. One has been in the making for a while, uh, and it is, um, wild sex energy. It's specifically for women, um, who want to get in touch with, uh, their body, learn about their anatomy, how it works, um, how magical it can be, uh, and then really come into their wild sex energy, which is like their insatiability, their hunger, their desires, um, and, really really connecting to their body so i'm really excited for that one uh, and then the other one that i'm working on is uh kind of like kind of like a sex ed i guess uh, there's gonna be lots of tutorials um and modules that just say like you know if you're uh, how to initiate sex in ways that uh, will pique your partner's interest or you know how to give really really good head how to go down on your woman um and make her just melt into bed you know um it's gonna have a whole bunch of things like that uh, so that one's in the making and i'm hoping to have that out next month or so uh, so that will have like it'll, it'll just be packed with resources if you are feeling um some hesitations if you're uncomfortable with or not uncomfortable sorry like you're maybe not totally confident in certain things um this will help you teach you just techniques um, to get more comfortable or maybe give you some permission to explore certain fantasies and ideas with your partner.